On today's episode of the Forgiven Nutritionist podcast, I'm talking with Dr. Gladys McGarry, who is 102. Dr. Gladys is recognized as a pioneer of the allopathic and holistic medical movements. She is also a founding diplomat of the American Board of Holistic Medicine. She is the co-founder and past president of the American Holistic Medical Association, as well as the co-founder of the Academy of Parapsychology and Medicine and the founder of the International Academy of Clinical Hypnosis. Dr. Gladys lives and works in Arizona, where for more than 60 years she shared a medical practice with her daughter. She has spoken on TEDx, and she currently has a medical consulting practice, maintains a healthy diet, and enjoys a good piece of cake every now and then. She just wrote a book that is out now called The Well-Lived Life, a 102-year-old's Six Secrets to Health and Happiness at Every Age. And that's just some of what we discussed today, is those six secrets and so much more. I encourage you to check out her links in the show notes. And yes, she's even on Instagram. Here's a clip from today's episode. I mean, that's a central essence of understanding that love is a great healer. And if you can really color your life with that kind of, of joy and responsibleness, it's, it really, really allows you to be who you really came to be. Hey everyone, just a quick break to show some gratitude to our sponsors and give you some special deals. Pendulum has probiotics that help heal your gut. Their lineup includes Acromancia, Metabolic Daily, and one called Glucose Control, which is great for anyone wanting to improve their blood sugar levels, and you don't have to be a diabetic to take it. Any of those three probiotics include an important strain of probiotic called Acromancia, which is only sold by Pendulum and is a key component of strengthening your gut lining and gut health. All of their products are clinically studied and third-party tested for quality. Check out all of their products by clicking the link in the show notes and use code FORGIVEN for 20% off your first month membership. So welcome, Gladys, to the Forgiven Nutritionist podcast. I'm so glad that you could be here with me today. I'm so happy to be here. And it's hot in Arizona, so it's nice to be cool up where you are. <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely cooler today. Yes, that's for sure. <laughs> So Gladys, I'm a little bit familiar with you only because I recently discovered you, and, um, but why don't you share with my listeners a little bit about yourself and maybe how you became to know, be known as uh, the mother of holistic medicine. Well, um, <clears throat> I'm 102 and a half years old. <laughs> <laughs> You're 102 and a half years young, Gladys. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I, I'll accept the age. I'm not, I have uh, young great-grandchildren who have to, you know, they let you, if, if they're five and a half, they're five and a half, and you don't say they're five, so, <laughs> anyway, that by that, that's, you know, that's by the side. I was um, born and raised in North India. My parents were osteopathic physicians trained by A.T. Stilled, who started the concept of osteopathy uh, in 1912 and 1913. And they then went out to India as 
medical missionaries with the Presbyterian Church. And I was born there. In fact, my mother went into labor with me at the Taj Mahal, which I think she must be kind of a little drama queen. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, my uh, early childhood, I thought, was just heaven. I, I loved it. We, My parents took their medical work back into the jungles of North India, and we lived in tents, and and uh, I got to know the, in I spoke Hindustani before I spoke English, and uh, everything was perfect until I started school. And uh, when I started school, all of a sudden I was the class dummy because I couldn't read or write. I was so dyslexic that I knew the alphabet and I knew one, two, three, four, all that stuff. But none of the numbers or anything could sit still on a page. So there was no way I could read. And the teacher decided I was a class dummy. And so I ended up having to, to repeat first grade twice, which didn't, I never did learn <laughs> anything. And uh, so there I was. But fortunately, in spite of all the uh, deep soul damage that I had in those two years. So anyway, yeah, my family uh, was able to help me to uh, reclaim who I really was after I would climb up the hill at, and go home and then, uh, but I'd always have to go back to school. So anyway, that was a very important part of my of who and what I am because um, <clears throat> it made me reach beyond where I would have ordinarily reached I think mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I, st I came to the States when I was 15 and started college and then went to medical school woman med woman's medical school college in Philadelphia during, well, the war, the war started, now I've got something jumping in this again. The war started in, uh, in December, but I started medical school in September 1941 and went through medical school all throughout the uh, war. So everything that we learned was about killing and getting rid of uh, pain and that sort of thing. And I knew in my uh, deeper being that there was more to healing than that because I had watched what my parents did and how they worked with patients. And they didn't have a lot of equipment or anything. They had a trunk that had some stuff in it. and. Uh, but the main thing that they brought to the people as they reached out to them was their love. And so I knew that there was an aspect of healing that went beyond what we were being taught. And uh, because I asked questions in medical school, the dean of our school decided there was something wrong with me, so she 
sent me to the psychiatrist twice and sent us to the psychiatrist because she didn't think I was fit for being a doctor. But then I got sent back to medical school and I got <laughs> okay. And from then it goes on into a, my residency, which which was uh, the head resident had the concept that uh, I didn't belong in medicine, that women didn't belong in medicine, and uh, so on. So, and in the meantime, I had met Bill and married him, and we were having a family, and so on. So, and from then it goes on, you know, the, the story builds. Yes, yes. Well, and one of the things that I, because I recently read your book, yeah. um, and I loved it. Um, there were a lot of a lot of parts in it that uh, really resonated with me, and um, recently I had been um, I just finished up school at um, IIN, which is the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. So I learned a lot about um, yes, food is important, but also so is your mental health, your physical health, um, your your spiritual health, um, your home life, your work life. That all plays a factor in in your in your overall physical health, you know, and I think that's a, a something that I'm not a lot of people think about. So that's yeah. one of the reasons why I was drawn to you. Thank you. <laughs> one of the the parts that um, I really enjoyed, because um, I just wanted to touch on holistic medicine with you for a little bit, again, because you're known as um, the mother of holistic medicine, and you're also board certified in holistic and integrative medicine. Um, there's a part in your book, and I'm going to read a little bit of it, and I because I found it very um, profound, actually. Um, it says, I'm working to create focuses on healing and prevention instead of pharmaceuticals and invasive procedures. It supports each person's natural capacity to heal and maintain both wholeness and wellness, rather than being part of a war against disease and pain. With today's healthcare system broken, it's needed more than ever. And I definitely couldn't agree more, Gladys. Well, oh. yes. And uh, the reason mm -hmm. we started the American Holistic Medical Association in 1978, yeah. De you have to understand decades do this. They telescope for me. So anyway, um, we started that because there were a group of us that were saying to, you know, there's more, there has to be more to this that, than just killing diseases and getting rid of pain. There's has to be more. And so there were five of us who, with Norm Shealy, and we started the American Holistic Medical Association. Of course, it took us two years to decide how to spell it because the root word that we were looking for was health, healing, and holy. So it had to be started with an R anyway. We got it started, and um, it it was not a uh, steady, smooth rose. We weren't weren't accepted with open arms by any means. Uh, I won't even begin to tell you the names we were called, but um, but but we felt in our very essence the importance of understanding what healing is all about. And uh, so my eldest son, when he graduated from uh, medical school, 
and was now there's something bumping here, John. Something. So um, my eldest son graduated from medical school, yeah. and then went to, and then began. Uh, yeah, okay, it's settled. So he then he uh, went to. In, he he went to medical school and got his orthopedic training, so he was an orthopedic surgeon, and came through Phoenix, stopped to see us and to go before he went down to um, uh, Del Rio, Texas, where he practiced as an orthopedic surgeon. But he, just before he left, he said, "Mom, I'm really scared." He said, "I'm going into the world." I'm going to have people's lives in my hands. I, I don't know if I can handle that. And I said to him, well, Carl, if you're the one who thinks he does the healing, you have a right to be scared. But if you can understand that within each patient, there is a colleague for you, a person who can actually help and actually do the healing, within each patient, there is that physician which don't, actually does the healing. You're going to be doing amazing work with orthopedics. And those of us who need to have healing done, that we welcome you. We need to have our bones set and all that. But after that, when you've done your work, you can hand it over to the physician within the patient, and then you and, and that physician become colleagues. And work together because without that inner inner aspect of love mm -hmm. and concern, uh, the patient doesn't need to take anything you say. And if they don't take anything you say, they you know it's not it's not going to heal. Or it may, but somehow those things happen. But um, the reality of love as the great healer, I think, is essential and central to true to true healing. Definitely, definitely. And I've heard you mention on other podcasts too and other talks how um, a lot of people don't love themselves. And so that's where the, the true healing needs to start is they need to love themselves. And, and I think a lot of people don't think about how their body can heal and they don't, they don't give it credit for that, and once they realize that and accept that it can, that's also going to help help the healing process begin. It, it's very important because uh, there's another term that is being used now, and that's ambiguous pain. Loss. It's loss, ambiguous loss, where things that have happened in your childhood, like my dyslexia, um, are so traumatic. <laughs> that you go on with life, but the damage is still there. And you keep working around it and above it and trying to do things. And so much so for me with this whole dyslexia thing that um, I was 93 before I, I actually recognized my own voice and honored that because I really didn't trust it. I was, I, I had that thing that I was carrying with me, and when I would write, I wrote books and so on, 
but I would have Bill check it and see if I had things right. And if I was doing a lecture and somebody said something about, I would, I was constantly deflecting what I was saying as I, my truth, in order to get affirmation from others on the outside. And it wasn't until I was 93 and I had a dream that helped me out of that because I, I have such important aspect of my uh, work, it's dream work. Mm -hmm. It's so important. The, the, are you hearing that? I am not hearing anything. I'm, hearing, I'm just hearing you talk. Okay, good. So, <laughs> <laughs> if that's what you're recording, I'm happy. I'll just keep on. <laughs> so the dream was, I, I woke up in the, it was a Sunday morning, and I knew it was a Sunday morning, and I woke up singing and laughing, and I was kind of in the dream and out of the dream, and so what I saw was that I saw myself as nine-year-old Gladys in the jungles of North India, and I was peeking out of the tent flap, checking to see that my younger brother wasn't there because he would tattle on me because uh, I was going to do something that you know I wasn't supposed to be doing. And so he wasn't there, so I ran as fast as I could and climbed the mango tree and got clear up to the top. And I was sitting up at the top, and I was singing. I mean, I was singing anything I came into my head, caterpillar song or whatever. And I was just having the best old time, because no, I was high enough that I thought nobody could hear me. And in our family, the thing was, we weren't allowed to sing hymns or uh, sing anything but hymns or budgeons on Sunday mornings. And I, th I thought that was a stupid rules, and I didn't really <laughs> want to do it. So I wasn't doing it. So I'm sitting up at the top of the tree, but every so often I look over my shoulder on the, on the right, and Jesus is up in the tree with me. Well, I look over and I say, um, Jesus loves children, right? <laughs> and he's laughing really hard. He says yes. So I go back to my singing, and I'm singing, and then I think, did he really say yes? <laughs> so I look back, and I say, I'm still a little children, right? And he says yes. And so I went back to my singing, and I woke up, and I realized mm -hmm. that all these years I had been denying the very things that I was saying because I just didn't I hadn't accepted within myself that, the, that I understood this truth and so it was that aspect of of my actually uh, inner spirit that had been damaged because of the whole process but that when I, when I look back that's true however it took me 93 years to accept the fact that I re it was my lesson, it was my teacher. Those were things I really needed to learn. And so, yeah, go ahead and say, say your truth and see what happens. 
Well, and that's a great segue because I was just going to um, start to ask you about, um, we're going to talk about your book, which is called The Well-Lived Life, A 102-Year-Old Doctor's Six Secrets to Health and Happiness at Every Age. And the first secret is you are here for a reason. And I definitely, um, if I could agree 1,000%, I would, because I, I believe um, that we all are definitely here for a reason. And there was, um, there's a couple quotes in each chapter or in each of the six secrets that I'm kind of going to go over with you because they really resonated and, and you hit on a, a few of them already. But um, if, if for your first one, for you are here for a reason, a favorite quote of mine is, because I always hated homework. That's the first one because that really resonated with me, Gladys. <laughs> The other one is, I spent my early years in school thinking that I was stupid. It left a deep impression in my sense of self-worth. That was another one that I, I struggled a lot with that as well. And then the last one is, I'm pro-question. I like to dig into things and figure them out. At the same time, being pro-question means understanding there is plenty of science hasn't explained yet, and it's always worth asking a question, even if we don't know the answer. And if my husband were here right now, he would laugh because I'm always asking questions. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you could tell us a little bit about your first secret, that you are here for a reason. Well, you know, we, let me put it in this, I use pictures, thought forms a lot, you know. I think that the universe is a huge jigsaw puzzle. And every one of us is one of those pieces in that jigsaw puzzle, which has all of its sides are, are touching something, but it, it has to be who it is and what it is, and no other piece can fit in. You know, I've, I've done big jigsaw puzzles and tried to pound another piece in. <laughs> it doesn't work, you know. It just, the one piece fits, and that's the only one that fits. And and if you've done a thousand piece puzzle and and come to the end and you find that one piece is missing, you go crazy trying to find that one piece. It's the whole idea that each one of us has that inner, outer, actual presence that is our own. And if we if as we begin to understand that and work with that and deal with that and fall in love with that, mm -hmm. then we'll really understand why it is that we're here and begin to and carry out our mission uh, as the person that we intended to be when we came. I definitely agree with that. and And... Like I said, for the for some of the other quotes, um, where you know I I did not have a dy dyslexia growing up, but I struggled in school a lot, and so my mom and dad had me tested quite a few times, and supposedly there was no learning disabilities or anything like that, but I struggled in school a lot, so I really always thought I was stupid, uh -huh. and uh, and I think that um, not only did I have to go through that but some of the other depression and anxiety and rheumatoid arthritis and the headaches all those years because it led me to where I am today. 
Yes. Now, going through it, it was awful. Um, but now that I'm here on the other side, I, I see my purpose. And that's and it's no, getting to the other side. I think that's what's so important. We don't just get over it. We have to live through it. it. As we live through it, we learn the lessons. But, you know, no matter how long it takes you, it took me 93 years to learn, actually learn the lesson. Because, But I was still doing it. But, uh, and of course, the, my dean in medical school thought, because I, I was always asking these crazy questions, you know, and uh, that had no sense to anybody, <laughs> to her or... So it's that kind of, of a inner knowing that I think is so uh, essential. And, and you know, I have six kids. And uh, for me, these six children have, through the years have been my focus, not just focus, my anchor. Because when, when I was in, a, well, long story, Bill was called back into the service, and then we were in, living in this small town in Ohio, and I was left with 9,000 patients practically. The whole town then was my patient. And so I was just worn out, dr dragged through it, the whole thing. I would come home so tired that think I just could hardly do anything. But my son Bob, at 18 months old would be sitting on the front step waiting for me so that I could pick him up and carry him in and sit down in my rocking chair and he would pat my shoulder and I would rock him until I'd get my life back into focus. And uh, I was so enamored by these children that I had. Uh, my th this Bob person that did that when he was three, he came running in one time and he says, "Mom, I know something." And I says, "What's that, Bobby?" He says, "If I make a friend and he makes a friend and he makes a friend, it's going to go all around the world and come back to me." Of course, he's a humanistic psychologist. You know, <laughs> this is I I could this <laughs> that kind of purpose that he knew right from the start and then this John mine this, my second son who's here with me and helping me all the time um, he came in when he to the living room when he was seven and he says mom I have I wish Jesus was here and I says well I do too but why you and he says because I've got questions and I said, well, uh, maybe I could help you. He said, but you can't. You don't know. You don't know the answers. And I said, well, try me. Oh, he says, okay. He says, how can God be if He never got started? <laughs> I said, oh, um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe it's like a circle. It doesn't have a beginning and an end. And he runs off. He says, I knew you didn't have the answers. <laughs> but he's a Presbyterian minister. You know, I think that we, a lot of us, know when we are little what it is we came to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of us 
don't know it until we're really quite a lot older. But if we're looking, if we're reaching for the light, if we're always understanding that there's more to this than that, we'll find it the light, the sun will always come up. And of course it's got to go back down again, but it'll come up again. And it's that kind of a, of a inner knowing within our being that the truth is there. Definitely, definitely. Well, and the second secret, if we can go to that one now, is which I love this one, because this one's a little more um, active. The other ones are a little more deeper and introspective, but this one's, um, it says, all life needs to move. And here's the, here's the quote that I love from this, this chapter the, the best. Depression is so insidious. It's invasive and sneaky like a virus. It creeps in undetected until all of a sudden it's there, fully present, and we don't know what to do about it. When it happens, we need to find simple ways to connect back with our lives again. It can be hard to get moving when we're depressed. It can be hard when we're in great pain, but emotional pain of depression is very similar to physical pain, and often, as much as it may hurt, movement is part of the solution to pain. And as a person who suffered for almost 50 years of my life with depression and anxiety, which I do not now, I definitely agree that movement is key and you have to work through the pain. So maybe you could expand on the all life needs to move. Well, without movement, life can't do anything. In fact, I have, to, to add to that, I have five L's that I like to talk about too because I think they help to explain the secrets in their own way. Anyway, the first L is life. Life by itself is like, like a seed in the, in the pyramid, which it has a shell around it, has all the energy of the universe within it, but it can't do anything until love activates it. So love is the healing aspect of, of all of this, of the depression, of finding what is it holding us back and all of that. Love is the pivotal greatest healer there is. So when, when love activates the seed, then the seed becomes uh, what it can be and it, it can grow and all of this. But the, the, it's really important to understand within ourselves, this whole need to love ourselves can be um, really stopped and it will die, life will die if we don't move. If you, if you have a, a, a rose trellis and you stop it someplace, it's going to kill the trellis, you know, the rose won't we need to keep moving even if it's just moving your fingers moving your ears wiggling your toes even if it's doodling I think I've had patients who were so stuck and I tell them well just start doodling just do something do something that allows you to know that you can move and as you move you really are beginning to move out of 
the stuckness. When you stop, you get stuck again, but you can keep on moving. You can understand that that movement is really keeping life alive. Definitely. I think it's beautifully said, and I think we we all kind of forget that. And, and I am definitely guilty. I enjoy just sitting watching something on television for a little while. <laughs> but yeah. I definitely agree that movement is key. And like you said, um, it can be small as long as you're doodling or, and some people, um, maybe they're wheelchair bound so they can't get up and walk, but they can dance in their seat a little bit. Uh, you know, just little things like that, that people, it's all got to start somewhere. Well, you know, I, I have the, the challenge of, for myself, of walking with my walker 3,800 steps a day. I don't always make it, but my challenge is, and I, I, I worked towards that, and uh, for my 102nd birthday, I came out to the, uh, to the stage on a tricycle my two sons pulled a curtain back and I rode out on this tricycle because my idea of a tricycle is a perfect picture of, of holistic medicine. Think about it. You've got these two back wheels and they're, they're nice, you know, they, they work. They do what they're supposed to do. Just like our body-mind works, it can do what it needs to do. Mm -hmm. But it has no direction until it gets the front the fr front wheel there. And the front wheel is the mind. So it, the, when you put the front wheel onto this uh, infrastructure of the, of the, the, the uh, cycle, the tri tricycle, then you you that's good you know you got you go someplace, but even that isn't going to do anything until somebody gets up on the seat, starts the feet moving so that the wheels can go, and you have a direction that you're going to go in. It's that lovely picture of what holistic medicine. And uh, actually, life moving forward is all about. It's getting the thing, the cycle of life moved into uh, tune with the rest of life so that you can actually do the things that you want to do. But it's kind of nice to understand that when you get up on that seat, you either can just sit there or... You can say to yourself, well, I'm, I've got something to do, and you start moving. That's, that's, it's like a, a perfect analogy, actually. Yeah. And um, I would have loved to have seen you on your tricycle. I saw you do your TEDx talk, but I did not see the tricycle yet. No, the tricycle. Hopefully somebody's going to somewhere. Tricycle, uh, I mean, just this past, last birthday party. <laughs> My, that's wonderful yeah <laughs> well and the third secret that's in your chap in your book is called love is medicine and i know you've already touched a lot on love um and i think that honestly my mother is very good at um loving people um but here's a quote that i loved from this this secret 
Love has an uncommon ability to transform everything it touches. It transforms labor from drudgery to bliss. It transforms laughter from cruelty to joy. It transforms listening from empty sound to a message we can hear. Things become infinitely impossible when love is present. And I think that is beautifully said. Thank you, because it's true, you know. It's the heart of the whole process. Yeah. So thank you for reading those because, you know, I, I truly believe that. You know, and the Bible kind of starts out with God is love. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. <laughs> another, another thing that I, I really, I believe this. And so God created us and he said, you have dominion over all the world. People now, and I'm finding this, and I think you you found it, and you're finding it with the people you work with. People are reaching for their true humanity. I think within our core, we know that we, as true humans, really have a choice of, of how we treat Mother Earth, how we treat other people, how we treat ourselves. And if we don't have the love that's there, that that takes care of things it 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 doesn't work it'll die yes that that is very true and i think that's what um honestly a lot of people struggle with um remembering much like when you're on an airplane they say that you have to take care of yourself first grab your own air mask before you assist the person next to you and sometimes we forget that we need to take care of ourselves it's just such a simple thing we're so used to taking care of other people's but we need to take care of and love ourselves as well. And I think think some people forget that. I think we can all be guilty of that, but some definitely need a reminder. It's, it's very easy to forget something like that because we don't see ourselves. When we begin looking and begin see, seeing things again, they come to us in a, a different uh, way and we begin to recognize it. You know, I kind of think of it this way. I have a flashlight, and I'm walking down my path. The thing is that I can't see any farther than where my flashlight beam goes, but I can take every step and go as far as it's going to go. In the process of taking this step and working with this, I can be looking for what else I see. And if I see a glimmering small light someplace else and then point my light to that, it increases that light so much that that person who may be struggling with really having trouble gets the light, then they can take their own flashlight and go where they need to go. But it's that ability to understand that you... you really are a one person being and that this one person being is there to help the others too you know it's it's that's the joy of it yes well and that's a per- another perfect segue um to lead us into your secret number four which is that you are never truly alone yeah and i really like this one as well and here's the quote that really resonated with me too uh for this secret I was raised to believe in the power of connection. 
I came from a strong family and a vibrant community where people helped each other and were connected. I continue to create a thriving family despite of the many things we've been through and always been greatly involved in the world around me. I prioritize my social relationships because I know how it feels through my whole being when I'm giving and receiving from others. And I think that today with the cell phones and computers and TVs, we all kind of get disconnected. So maybe you could help us or talk to us about how we're not, we're not as alone as we, um, as we think we are. Well, I absolutely, yeah, you know, I, I agree with what I said. But I really think there's a, a, a well, you know, these young, young men now who are killing each other and killing people in the classroom and so on. There's some defect there, something that has been so deeply lost or missed or something that uh, you wonder what in the world is happening. And I, th- I have an idea that maybe these young people have really never felt love. They may come from homes where love is hard to find. They may come from some damaged place that they really don't know that love is there. But they so, and they also don't know that death is real. They've watched the TV and the they've seen a person die and the next day they're back and the next day they're back and the next so and then they don't know that death is real even their own death does maybe doesn't feel real to them and if they've never had a pet that died or they haven't had a parent that's died or they may just know nothing about death it's it, there there may be some defect like that i think that if we had guardian dogs in the classroom, we could help solve this. Because a dog understands when a child is hurt. Mm-hmm. If a child doesn't understand, you know, is having a hard time, the dog will understand. If a, if a child is afraid of dogs, the dog won't go near the child until the child reaches out for them. But if we had guardian dogs and children would learn as they're going through school that they love this dog or that this dog presents them with love and maybe the dog will die or maybe something will happen in real life that connects them with real life. But if they're not connected to real life and the whole uh, purpose is not identified to them of, of living a life that is real and and uh, they can feel it what are you what are they going to do but if we had guardian dogs in the classroom I think it would make a difference so I'm I'm preaching that <laughs> well I think somebody will listen to you Gladys I think well, it's a I great idea so. yeah and it's so you know it's it's being done in every place else the the the, the Service people depend on it. Doctors depend on it. You know, it's depending. Why not in the classroom? Definitely. So, you know, it'll start, a, it'll start a whole new profession. You have to have, have dogs that are, that are hyperallergenic. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And yeah. and they don't have to be uh, trained by the trainers. They'll have to, to have trainers. Teachers will have to learn. You know, you're going to have a whole new profession, and uh, and you're going to have these dogs that are going to be able to do something that I think is a, a lot better idea than guns for the teachers. Definitely. I, I do like dogs in schools. I think I think it's definitely a great way for kids of all ages to yeah. learn how to start to connect. You know, it's, it's a safer way for them to start to connect, especially if they don't have that, like you said, at home. It's a great way to introduce them to the thought of connecting with somebody other than themselves and... Uh, it's alive. Them yes. You know, something that's alive. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Well, your secret number five um, was definitely an interesting one for me, and I, and I loved it. Um, it's everything is your teacher, and um, I, I definitely agree with that. I like to, um, especially now later in my life, look back and reflect on a lot of the lessons and things I've gone through and learned from. And, and here's one, the quote from this chapter that I, I found very profound and I applaud you for. So let me read that now. I stopped driving because life communicated to me that it was time for me to do so. One day while driving a familiar path through Scottsdale, I drove over a curb. I was a careful driver, so that was unusual. I simply hadn't seen it. In that moment, it was time to make a decision. Option A was to pretend that it had just happened. What had happened actually hadn't happened and that it didn't matter. Or option B was the heart to hand the keys over. I thought about my great-grandchildren playing on their bikes on the road, the neighbors or friends out walking their dogs, and the thousands of other drivers that were out there whom I didn't know who had just as much right to be alive as I did. So I handed over the keys. And I think that is um, profound, Gladys. I think not a lot of people recognize... Um, not maybe necessarily with driving, but just with life in general, the things that they should or shouldn't do, and or take the time to stop and think about something like that. So tell us about everything is your teacher. Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to give up something like driving because all of a sudden, you who have always been independent and always known you could jump in your car and go can't anymore and now you're completely dependent on other people because unless you have a tricycle and decide you're going to do it yourself which I'm not going to drive out, out on the streets but anyway it's, it's that whole idea that there comes a time when life changes for you for us individually and we either accept it or not and if we don't, then we're in trouble. Yeah, I think that a lot of people, and again, myself included, we, we have trouble seeing the things that maybe we should be learning, especially when you're in the moment of something. Maybe it's not, something's not um, always as pleasant. Not everything is a bed of roses, right? Um, so it's hard for us to find the, the learning or the teaching moments. Um, and recognize them and then admit that, okay, this is what we should be doing now instead, or this is what we shouldn't be doing anymore. On the other hand, there's sometimes when we absolutely have to stand up for, for what it is that we're talking about, 
um, when I was when I had my license and was practicing medicine, I was several oh, I, number of times called up in, in front of our Maricopa County Medical Association and reprimanded for some things that I was doing and so on. And this one time um, I was there and they did their thing and I was accepted my reprimand and I, I reached into my purse for my keys and they I had a big silver uh, it was a big silver safety pin that I had my keys on and I had it in my hand and I walked out and this other doctor comes walking up to me and he says to me now let me tell you something honey oh wow he pushed a button and I turned around and I looked at him and I said you don't call me honey. I said, I'm your peer age-wise and professionally, and you will not call me honey. I mean, the committee is still sitting there, and I'm pounding on this guy's shoulder, and I turn around, and my, my lawyer is doubled up against the wall laughing. He's laughing so hard. So then I walked up, and I came home, and my daughter, who was my partner in, in practice I told her she said oh mom you didn't and I said yes I did he had no business doing that and three years later I was called up again in front of the committee and this guy was really nice I mean he came up <laughs> and he, he spoke with a lot of respect and so, mm -hmm, I thought <laughs> that's good you put him in his place well there there are times when you just simply have to stand up but those times are few and far between. Most of the time you have to just take life as it comes and, and do what you have to do. But, the, but those, there are times when the, when the line has been crossed. <laughs> That's definitely good advice. I love it. The sixth secret is spend your energy wildly, even if you're 102. And so for this one, um, there were so many, so many quotes. I had a lot of it highlighted, almost the whole chapter highlighted. <laughs> I had a hard time picking. <laughs> so let me, let me just read one of them that I enjoyed the most. <laughs> While resting, we're meant to think kind, gentle, regenerative thoughts at our body. We're meant to nourish ourselves, enjoying a slower pace, being fully present with that, with what is. This is a far cry from laziness. As I see it, being lazy is that we withhold our life force from the collective. It's when we hold back, refusing to give, refusing to participate. This drains our juice. And so I, again, the whole chapter, I wanted to highlight the whole thing, really. <laughs> so I had a hard time picking. But that was my, my, the, the one I picked. So maybe you could tell us about spend your energy wildly. Well, you know, that resting, you know, I've had patients who um, were, I said, you know, for some reason, whatever the reason was, I told them to go home and rest. Every so often there was a person who took that to mean that that meant do nothing, you know, I'll go home and rest. And and when they do that, 
they lose everything. They don't know what to do, and they're and they think they they've missed everything and so on. But if they can understand that what I was saying was go home and do something, rest. That resting is doing something. Instead of resting is like, I give it up all. You know, it's, it's, it's a new perspective on what rest is about for some people. And I think it's, I think it's, it's important to, to realize that and claim it. Because resting is, you know, even the sun has to rest. It has to go to bed at night. Definitely. And, and in, in your book, you talk a little bit about your juice. So maybe you could uh, explain to my listeners what anybody's juice is, because I loved it. Well, it's what makes you sing. It makes you really understand that this is great. It's the thing that allows you, well, you know, it's like, um, here's a good example. I have a patient. She's in her mid-70s, uh, and all her life she's had severe pain. I mean, she really has struggled with pain. But she's a painter. So when, when, she, uh, when pain gets really bad, she grabs her paints, and she paints everything. She paints the wall, she paints her shoes, she paints her purse, she paints her... She paints... And she paints until she says, the ting comes back, the pain ting. When the ting comes back, then she could go back to her, what she's doing, and, uh, and it's, it's okay. You know, it's, it's the, 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 the juice for her was the ting. It's that thing within us that allows us to keep on going and doing things when, when we're really, um, really stuck. For her, when the pain came, she could actually deal with the pain. And it's, it's the awareness that it's, you know, sometimes, sometimes you really uh, have to just let yourself feel the reality of how wonderful this life is, how it just makes you, uh, take for instance, what we're doing right now, I cannot imagine that I'm doing this, you know, it's just so amazing that we, that we have advanced in our understanding of what life is about, that you and I can be friends when we're so many miles apart and uh, all of this. It's, it's, it's a, that kind of reaching for our true humanity. It's the um, understanding that we really, really are here for a purpose, that we have a job to do. And if we don't do it, uh, well, who in the world is going to do it? Yes, it's beautifully said, Gladys, and I couldn't agree more. I, I feel very blessed that I get to sit here with you talking today, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you agreed to come on my podcast. I feel so lucky. Thank you. Thank you. 
You know, everything that I've done wouldn't amount to a hill of beans if you didn't pick it up and run with it. Yep, that's that's very true. But I'm glad to run with it, Gladys. I'm glad to run with you. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So I always like to ask my guests um, at the end of every episode for their don't miss this moment. It's something that I want my listeners to, if they'd missed everything else or if they kind of were in and out and didn't really know which was their favorite thing. What is your don't miss this moment that you want my listeners to really remember or want you want them to really have something resonate with them? It's that love is a great healer. I mean, that's a central essence of understanding that love is a great healer. And if you can really color your life with that kind of of joy and responsibleness it's it really really allows you to be who you really came to be well thank you so much for that i appreciate that i hope my listeners really enjoy um hearing from you as well and i know that um i was a little jealous when i got to uh learn that um you get to play with elephants because I love elephants, Gladys. <laughs> that was one of the things I was fascinated with you about. My necklace <laughs> is elephants. Um, and I was glad that you brought up um, how your mom had uh, gone into labor with you at the Taj Mahal because I was going to mention that. So I was glad that you <laughs> brought that up as well. Um, and um, I know that uh, real quick, just as a, a fun little thing, I know that you had um, an encounter with Gandhi. So maybe you could tell my listeners real quick about that. I forgot to ask you about that earlier. Well, you know, that sometimes there's some things in life that are just so important that they're really hard to explain. So I was 10 years old and we were on the train coming back to the States. My, my fer- parents got a furlough every seven and a half years and we were on the train we were coming back and I um, really was we watching what was going on outside and outside the train began to slow down and there was a and in here there were always crowds of people but this these crowds were really dressed up and excited and following a man who was dressed in a his dhoti, which is the loincloth, and had a staff. And he was walking along, and I knew that this was Gandhiji. And uh, people were chanting, Gandhiji, Gandhiji. And so I had my face plastered against the window of the train as it came to a stop. And Gandhi was right in front of me where, where I, as I was looking up. And he was he stopped his walking he reached out there was a little girl handing him a flower and he's as he took that flower he looked up and he looked into my eyes and I felt something that I uh, can't explain but there was a, a love and a an acceptance in those mm-hmm. eyes that touched me as a 10-year-old kid. 
20 years later, my parents worked with Gandhi when the partition happened in India and all people were killing each other and it was a terrible, terrible time. But they were on the platform with Gandhi but my parents had a little a mobile unit they were going around helping people with and so on. And because Gandhi um, appreciated or were, was happy to work with my parents, they were friends, he gave my mother a, a cashmere shawl, which I have here, and my dad a pony put blanket. It was that kind of a, a connection that over the years was still there through my parents, and to this day, I can still feel the energy that was in those eyes. That's, that's, that's so wonderful. I think life brings everybody full circle. Right. And so when you were young, you had that experience, and it led him to your mom and dad um, when they were uh, several years later. And yeah. I think it's beautiful that you can still vividly remember that and, and feel the experience. That's wonderful, especially during a time in your life when um, back at that time you were feeling, um, you mentioned in your book that you were feeling stupid at that time. So mm -hmm. feeling that was probably wonderful, a, a welcome oh, yeah. relief. It was. It was It was like a jolt, you know, that that, that got me. And, and at a level that I didn't understand at all. I, I really didn't understand it. I don't think I even mentioned it to my parents because I couldn't explain what it was, but I knew. Yeah. It was love. That's the whole premise, and I'm glad that you're, you wrote your book because uh, you're reaching a lot of people, and I think a lot of other people will find you as fascinating and interesting as I did, Gladys, and it was wonderful to see you and meet you. 100% pure beauty products are safe for your skin and face. They have absolutely no toxic ingredients or hormone disruptors. You will not find any phthalates, parabens, formaldehyde, talc, PFAs, toluene, or oxybenzones in any of their products. This is important for your health. Every ingredient they use is beneficial. They have a full line of fruit pigmented makeup, skin care, and also hair and body. So click the link in the show notes and check them out today to start taking back your health. If you want to continue learning and hearing all things nutrition for your mind, body, and spirit, click like, subscribe, or favorite me on whatever podcast platform you use. Or you can find me at ForgivenNutritionist.com. This podcast was designed to educate, inspire, and empower you to achieve your health and wellness goals with your current healthcare provider. It is not meant to diagnose or treat any illness or medical condition or take the place of any treatments from your current healthcare providers.